This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce are about to make an appearance. The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes was an old-time radio show which aired in the USA from October 2nd of 39 to July 7th of 1947. Now, originally, the show starred Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes and Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson, and together they starred in 220 episodes which aired weekly on Mondays from 8.30 to 9. With Rathbone and Bruce, the show exhibited an interesting introduction. The sponsor's spokesman would show up weekly at Dr. Watson's house, then retired and living in California, and share a story about Sherlock Holmes and his adventures over a glass of Petri wine. This offered them the chance to sometimes bring in other characters to contribute to the story, and it also gave Watson a chance to summarize a, an additional tidbit or two at the end. Another interesting thing about the radio show's introduction was Watson's anecdotes and comments about his dogs. Tonight's episode entitled, Disappearing Scientists. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family... The family that took time to bring you good wine invites you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And now I'm sure our good friend and host, Dr. Watson, is waiting, so let's go in and join him. Good evening, Doctor. Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Here, down, down, Monty. Down, down there. Dogs seem very chipper tonight. Yes, tonight, yes, but they've been in disgrace most of the day, Mr. Bartell. Oh? What have they been up to? After the seals again, Doctor? Oh, my boy, this time it was chickens. They got into my neighbor's coop and had a delightful time. Fortunately, there were no casualties, but I'm afraid that my, uh, <laughs> my good neighbor policy has suffered a slight diplomatic strain. But you've come here to listen to Sherlock Holmes' adventures, not those of my dog, so uh, draw up your usual chair and make yourself comfortable, and uh, I'll get on with tonight's story. Last week, Doctor, you told us it was a case in which Sherlock Holmes found the solution without ever meeting any of the suspects. That's quite correct, Mr. Bartell. As remarkable as an exhibition of long-distance detection as I ever recall. But uh, judge the story for yourself, my boy. It's in the autumn of 1903, and... Sherlock Holmes was about to retire to his bee farm on the Sussex Downs. I must confess, Mr. Bartell, that my heart was heavy during those last few weeks we spent at Baker Street. I thought of the countless adventures that we'd shared together. I remembered those many evenings of quiet comradeship and companionship. A fire blazing away in the hearth as Holmes lay back in the shadows, 
playing his beloved violin. And then, Mr. Bartell, as so often happened, there'd be a violent jangle on our doorbell and some wretched soul in misery would be standing before us and pouring out his troubles. Suddenly the violin would be discarded and Holmes the dreamer would become Holmes the man of action. Come, Watson, the game's afoot, he'd say. And in a few moments later, we'd be rattling off in a cab through the foggy, gaslit London streets. Yes, Doctor, I can imagine it was pretty hard for you to leave Baker Street. It was, Mr. Bartell. However, as it transpired, there was one more adventure awaiting us before we left. A few days before the actual move, I persuaded Holmes to take an afternoon off from his packing and accompany me on a visit to the laboratory of an old friend of mine, a Professor Jean Boulin. He was an eminent French scientist engaged in very important work at the London University. Well, by the way, this was at a period, Mr. Bartell, when radium was something extremely new and extremely rare. The university had just acquired a minute but invaluable portion of the element, and Professor Boulin was in charge of the research connected with it. I can remember the picture so well as Holmes stood in the laboratory talking with keen interest to the distinguished star. Amazing, Professor Boulin. Quite amazing. Think that this tiny leaden vessel contains one of the most precious substances in the world. Yes, Mr. Holmes. We have a great deal to thank Madame Curie for. This new element may force us entirely to revise our concepts of all physical structure. Your research is a great responsibility, Boulin. It is, Watson. But I must confess that I wish the authorities here would give me a freer hand. I foresee such infinite possibilities in the use, particularly the medical use of radium. But my conservative superiors seem to regard it only as a toy, a scientific curiosity. Limit your experiments accordingly, I suppose. Exactly. Given no opportunity to do anything that's in the least radical. Mm, must be very disheartening. How can research ever get anywhere along those lines? It is a great misfortune, Holmes, that you've determined to retire to your bee farm. <laughs> uh, this project, we could use such an analytical mind as yours. <laughs> you flatter me, Professor. How many assistants do you have working with you, Buller? Three, but none of them are very inspired, I'm afraid. What? My best assistant is a man named Barker. He's a little on the conservative side, too. But he is extremely adroit. The other two, a young man called Taylor and the girl Gladys Hughes, they mean well. But gauche, I fear, is the only word to describe them. <laughs> why, why, why do you laugh, <laughs> I was just amused to observe that in describing my assistants, I chanced to be literal as well as figurative. It's odd that random symbolism can sometime, uh, uh, but never mind that. You would like to see the rest of the laboratory? Yes, yes, indeed we yes, would. Thank you very much. I have some extraordinarily interesting photographic plates that record the emanations of radium. They're over here. I think you will find them most fascinating. Baker Street, particularly when our rooms are full of packing cases, seems rather drab after the scientific stimulations of Professor Boulin's laboratory, doesn't it, old chap? Yes, it seemed drab, even if we hadn't been to see him. I feel frightfully depressed, Holmes. I just don't know what I'm going to do without you. Oh, you're still a young man, Watson, and a susceptible one. You'll marry again. No, no, I won't. <laughs> you will, old chap. And you'll end up by, by being glad that your old roommate, your difficult, rather unsociable old roommate is living in retirement on the Sussex Downs. Rubbish. I shan't feel anything of the kind. In any case, I don't think you'll be able to stay in retirement for long. Your mind is much too alert to be satisfied 
by being a sort of midwife to a bunch of beastly bees. Oh, dear Watson. I feel that you'll never eat honey again. Yes, you can laugh, Holmes, but I could see how excited you were when Bula suggested that you might help him with his radium experiment. Oh, flattering suggestion, I must admit, my dear fellow. Just the same, I... Oh. Now, who the devil's that? From the urgency of the tug on the bell pull, I'd say that it was a client. Then go and head him off, will you, old chap? Yes, I'll, I'll do my best. Oh, uh, Watson, explain that I'm no longer in practice. It's too late, Holmes. He's just past Mrs. Hudson. Here he comes rushing up the stairs. Oh, confound it. I beg your pardon, sir. Are you but, uh, Mr. Sherlock you... Holmes? Uh, no, I am not Sherlock. Then you must be Mr. Holmes. Uh, that is my name, sir. But may I ask what accounts for your rather whirlwind entrance? My housekeeper, Mrs. Hudson... I haven't any time to consider oh. etiquette. My sister Gladys Hughes has vanished. Vanished mm -hmm. into thin air. You've got to find her for me, Mr. Holmes. I'll pay you any fee you name, but you've got to find uh, her. Mr. Hughes, I'm extremely sorry that your sister has vanished, but I'm afraid that I can do nothing to help you. I'm retiring. I'm giving up my practice. If you won't help me, I'll go to someone who will. That's exactly what I mean, sir. I suggest that you go to the police, or if you insist on a private investigator, I can strongly recommend Mr. Martin Hewitt. Yes, his address is um, 39 Pont Street, Knightsbridge. Good day to you. Uh, good day, Mr. Hughes. 36 Pont Street, Knightsbridge. <clears throat> As I can understand his concern, but his manners leave a great deal to be desired. Holmes, Holmes. Janice Hughes, his missing sister. That was the name of one of Professor Boulin's assistants, wasn't it? True, old fellow, but it's uh, probably only a coincidence. What? Both Christian and surnames are extremely common ones. Well, I... I have a feeling that it may not be a coincidence. Oh, come now, my dear fellow. Don't you try and embroil me in a fresh adventure. I've retired and I'm leaving for Sussex in a few days. And if any more clients come wrenching at my doorbell, I shall ignore them. But, Mr. Holmes, you've got to help me. My son, Jeffrey Barker, has disappeared. I'm sorry, Mrs. Barker, but I'm afraid I'm... Holmes, Jeffrey Barker was the name of Professor Boulin's chief assistant. Uh, Watson, please believe me when I say that I am not to be inveigled into any further... Uh, Mrs. Taylor, I'm sorry, but I can't help you. Oh, but Mr. Holmes, it's my husband. He's disappeared. We, we've only been married three months, and now, oh, it's terrible. I, I've been so worried ever since he started to work on that strange new radium with Professor Jean Bernard. Holmes, you can't pretend it's coincidence any longer. Gladys Hughes, Jeffrey Barker, and now Taylor. The three assistants of Professor Bullard. Oh, I know it, Watson. Mrs. Taylor, the moving van will be here tomorrow to take, to take my things to Sussex. I shall follow them immediately. I have retired, madam. Do you understand that? Retired. Yes, another telegram for you, Holmes. It'll be the fourth today. Why won't Scotland Yard leave me alone? Well, it's a pretty strange business. Three people engaged in research of this new element, radium... All disappeared within 48 hours. Scotland Yard needs your help. Let them earn their salaries, my dear Watson. I've helped them for the last time. Well, let's see how they've couched their latest diffusion. Oh, this isn't from Scotland Yard. It's from my brother, Mycroft. Mycroft? What's he going to say? Listen to this. Now Professor Boulin has disappeared. Great Scott. And the radium with him. Surely the pattern is obvious, Sherlock. Radium must be found. Could solve the problem for you, but I'm too lazy. Consider what a flashy case for you to retire on regards Mycroft. Ha, 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 the old devil. Holmes, this is shocking. My old friend Boulin has, has disappeared. Yes, Watson, and now my brother asks me to investigate. Hmm. The pressure becomes irresistible. Very well. I bow to fate and postpone my retirement for a few hours. Good man, Holmes. You know, you'll you'll never really retire. Let me see. As Mycroft says, there's an obvious pattern in this case. Our first step, of course, will be to interview all the doctors who treat patients without charge. Why? Well, surely that's obvious. Well, it isn't at all obvious to me. I, 
Don't know why you always leave me in the dark. <laughs> well, what makes you laugh? <laughs> Been left in the dark. It's just like the old times, isn't it, Holmes? <laughs> Come on, old fellow, let's go. The game's afoot. <laughs> Uh, Dr. MacDonald, this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Mr. Sherlock Holmes. I'm very glad to meet you. And are you, uh, Dr. MacDonald? I swear that I've never been in as many doctor's offices as I have today. But Mr. Holmes is in search of some information. Perhaps, Doctor, you, you can help him. I'll do my best. Uh, what do you want to know, Mr. Holmes? Uh, whether you have any charity patients with skin eruptions or growths of any kind. I mean, oh. patients that have not kept their appointments recently, perhaps. Now, let me see. Why, why, yes, I do. Old Mrs. Pendle. She has a very bad case of lupus. She was due for a treatment here yesterday, and I've seen nothing of her. Splendid. Can you give me her address? Why, certainly. It's in my book here. Well, I hope this isn't a false trail, Holmes. You can only explore it and see, dear chap. Ah, uh, here we are. Mrs. Pendle. Mm. 36 Elm Gardens, Clapham. Mrs. Pendle, 36 Elm Gardens, Clapham. Thank you, Doctor. I'm greatly obliged to you. Getting restless, Watson? Yes, I am a little. We've been waiting outside Mrs. Pendle's house for over an hour. Why don't we knock on the door and see if she's at home? Oh, no, 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 my dear chap. We mustn't frighten her. I hope that she's going to lead us to our quarry. You see... Shh, shh, shh. Front door's opening. A woman's coming out. Yes, it's Mrs. Pendle, beyond doubt. Look at that bandage around the upper part of her face. Yeah, hello, she's turning down the street. We're going to follow her, I suppose. Naturally, but let's give, us a, let's give her a start, shall we? We don't want her to spot us. Well, while we're waiting, perhaps you'll clear up one or two points for me. I'm still very much in the dark. With pleasure, old chap. What puzzles you? Well, one of the things that Come I... Come on. Do... Well? We've given her enough of a start. Let's follow her. Oh, very well, very well. But look here, Holmes. You asked me what I didn't understand. Two things puzzle me. What did Mycroft mean by the pattern of the case? Why are we following a poor sick old lady through the London streets? I'll ask, answer the first question, and I think the answer to the second will be self-apparent. The pattern of the case is clear. Professor Boulin and his three assistants have vanished together with the radium, but their disappearances were not simultaneous. Had they been so, it would have been a transparent case of theft. But with the disappearances gradual rather than simultaneous, the emphasis has been subtly shifted. Yes, I can see that, Holmes. But what do you suppose is at the back of the whole business? Can't be a simple case of theft. Radium is enormously valuable. But it'd be hard stuff to sell again. Not to an unscrupulous criminal with a knowledge of medicine, Watson. My own theory, and I admit at the moment that it's purely a theory, is that Professor Boulin was worried because he was so hampered in his research. You remember that he stressed his great faith in the medical values of the new element, radium. Yes, 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 he did. It's more than possible that he places the rights of science above the rights of property, that he's determined that he and his group will carry on their invaluable research unhampered by the conservative restraints of the university. I see what you mean, Holmes, but how does Mrs. Pendle, the poor woman that we're following, enter the picture? Because one of the chief lines of radium research on the continent so far has been with her sort of trouble. Professor Boulin's obvious move, if my theory is correct, would be to contact poverty-stricken patients... Promise them relief, induce them to abandon their regular treatments, and submit to him. By Joe, yes, Holmes, that seems perfectly logical. And yet, I can't believe that Boulin would... Mrs. Do... Pendleton has uh, reached her destination. She's turned down a driveway. Yes, she's walking up to what looks like a, a deserted well. Howdy, old chap. 
Don't let her out of our sight. She's opened the door without knocking. She's gone in. We'll wait here for a moment or two, then we'll follow her. I have a feeling that your old friend, Professor Poulain, is not far away, Watson. Yes, you're probably right. I hope we can do something to protect him from the consequences of what he's done. It might easily mean the finish of a brilliant career. I'll do everything in my power, but you know as well as I do. Shh, shh, look, 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 look. She's pendles coming out again. Yes, and she's in trouble. Come on. Mrs. Pendle, what's wrong? I don't know how you know my name or who you be, but you ask me what's wrong. They tell me to come here to this address, and I find a doctor who dealt my face. I comes here, and what do I find? What did you find, madam? A corpse, sir. That's what I find. A dead man lying there in a great pool of his own blood. Well, Dr. Watson, so following the tracks of old Mrs. Pendle led you to a corpse, huh? Yes, Mr. Bartell. Of course, Sherlock Holmes and I went at once into the broken-down warehouse to examine the scene of the tragedy. Slumped over a desk in a dark and shabby room, a flickering candle giving a macabre lighting to the scene was the body of a man. I think I knew its identity even before Holmes turned to me. He said... Professor Boulan. All right, Watson. Poor devil. Murdered, of course. Yes, but examine him for yourself, will you? Yes. Yes, there's no doubt about it. This wound couldn't have been self-inflicted. The right oracle of the heart has, has been pierced. How long ago would you estimate death took place? Uh, not more than a, a couple of hours ago, I should say. Uh, not hard to reconstruct the killing. The murderer came up from behind Boulin as he sat here, crooked an arm around his throat... Yes. See the finger marks on the right-hand side of the neck? Here? Then stabbed him in the chest. Then withdrew the weapon and disappeared. Leaving no traces, confound it. A dusty room is an ideal place for recording footprints, but uh, there are half a dozen different prints here, including Mrs. Pendle's. Hello. Here's the print of a smaller woman's shoe. Well, it must be that of Gladys Hughes, his assistant. Undoubtedly. But that really proves nothing except that she was here with him. The fact that we were convinced of anyway. Mm. Question is... Come on. Let's go outside and talk to Mrs. Pendle again. Poor old Boulin. What a shocking way to die. And what a great loss to science. I suppose the murderer must have stolen the radium. We found no trace of it in there. Undoubtedly, the possession of the radium was the motive for the murder. Uh, Mrs. Pendle. The poor man is dead, ain't he, sir? I'm afraid so, madam. I knew it. I never should have come here. I never should have left Dr. MacDonald. Mrs. Pendle, let me ask you a question. I can't be answering no questions, sir. I don't know nothing about how the poor soul got himself murdered. What would a poor woman like me know about no, such no, things? No, 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 my good woman. My friend isn't suggesting at all that you know anything about the murder. Then what do you want to know, sir? Who told you to come to this address today, Mrs. Pendle? A young lady. Nice young lady she was, too. She met me coming out of Dr. MacDonald's yesterday and told me that if I come here today, I'd find a doctor who could cure me. Yeah, that was obviously Miss Hughes. Holmes, I believe that your theory was right. Come on, Mrs. Pendle. We'll escort you to the nearest police station where you can report the murder. Yes, sir. And then, Watson, we must keep on the track of the radium. That, perhaps, is more important than any life. Well, how are we going to do that? We haven't a clue to go on. Remember that Professor Boulin's three assistants are still missing. We must go to the homes of each of them and see what can be found out. 
Mr. Hughes, you must realize by now that your sister's disappearance is part of something vastly more significant than you think. I must ask you in the... My sister didn't disappear, Mr. What do you mean, sir? You came to us and said that she had. Oh, it was all a mistake, gentlemen. She came back today. She had just been down to the seaside for a short rest, and she'd forgotten to let me know. I'm sorry to have bothered you. May I see your sister at once, please? I'm sorry, Mr. Holmes, but she's out just now. I don't know where she's gone or what time she'll be back. Mrs. Barker, I've come to you about your son's disappearance. I'm afraid that... Oh, but my son didn't disappear, Mr. Holmes. It was all a misunderstanding. He came home today. Then may we speak to him, please, Mrs. Barker? Oh, I'm afraid that's impossible. You see, he... Mrs. Taylor, I want to talk to you about your husband's disappearance. Oh, that... He came home this afternoon, Mr. Holmes. At first I was so suspicious, but... But when he explained, well... Well, I'm sure you know how it is in the first few months of marriage. Those, those little tears. Confound it, Watson. We are no nearer the solution. And meanwhile, here we are back in Baker Street to find that the moving van has taken all your things off to Sussex. Perhaps you should give up the case, Holmes, and follow them. Close my career on a note of failure. No, 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 my dear fellow. I shall not leave London until this problem is solved. In that case, I'll I'll sit down. (coughs) Looks to me as if it may prove a lengthy wait. I've rarely felt more frustrated, Watson. All three vanished technicians home safely with plausible stories, or at least plausible alibis. And poor Bula murdered with a radium stolen. I must say it makes no sense to me. It must make sense. The pattern was well enough to find in the beginning. It's just a question of... Finding the right key. In a way, it's clear enough what's happened. One of the three assistants, placing the financial value of radium above its value to science, murdered Boulin to obtain the prize. The other two, fearing that their complicity in the original plot would involve them as accomplices in murder, ran home and established an alibi. And the murderer did the same thing, for it's obvious one of the three must be the killer and the thief. Yes, the question is... Which one of the three is the culprit? If only poor Boulin were alive, he could help us. My dear chap, if Boulin were alive, there would be no murderer. Well, of course there wouldn't. Now, let's see, let's see, let's see. Boulin gave us a few bare facts about his three assistants. I, I wonder... But, of course, Watson, I have the answer. The case is solved. What do you mean, Holmes? How can it be solved? You haven't done enough investigation. If it comes to that, you haven't even seen any of your three suspects. That isn't necessary. Oh, you know who did it? Yes, Watson, and so should you. But we know nothing to set them apart from each other, except that one of them's a girl. We know more than that, my dear fellow. Think hard. Well, Boulin told us that Jeffrey Barker was an excellent technician, while the other two were somewhat uh, we know, clumsy. We know even more than that. Well, just if I know what, Holmes. I shan't even need to stay in London and follow the case through to its logical conclusion. A telegram uh, to uh, Mycroft and another to... Uh, Scotland Yard should take care of it, yes. And I can be in Sussex before the moving van, after all. Oh, you mean you're going now before the case is solved? But it is solved, my dear fellow. All that remains to be done is some purely routine work. Uh, what's the time? Uh, look, it's, uh, it's uh, just three o'clock. Uh, splendid. If we hurry, we can catch the 345 Express from Waterloo. We? Yes, I, um, I was counting on you spending a few days down there with me, old chap. I, I hope you can spare the time. I should hate to make so drastic a change without, uh, my good old friend Watson at my side? Oh, of course, I'm uh, delighted, but... Uh, but but uh, what, my dear boy? The case of the disappearing scientists. Wait until we get to Sussex, shall we? Hmm? As soon as I get an answer to my telegrams, I'll explain the whole thing to you. And now let's hurry, shall we? Our train leaves in 40 minutes. Oh, my dear fellow, I'm 
More tea, Watson? Thanks, old boy. Ah, peaceful down here, isn't it? Extremely. At the moment, I must confess, <clears throat> I find it rather nerve-wracking. Oh, why? Uh, well, you know why, Holmes. I want you to open that telegram and tell me if your solution to the, to the Boulin case was the correct one. Very well, my dear chap. Let's see. What is it? Uh-huh. It's from Mycroft. Listen. Murderer arrested and radium recovered. Well done, Sherlock, though you took longer than I expected. Regards, Mycroft. Congratulations, Holmes. <laughs> and now perhaps you'll con- condescend to tell me how you solved it. Don't be angry with me, old chap. I only oh. wanted to make sure that my solution uh, was correct. You remember the uh, the nature of the fatal wound on Boulin's body? Of course. He'd been stabbed through the right oracle of the heart. From behind. Proving that the murderer was... Clearly right-handed. Oh, what does that signify? Almost everybody's right-handed. Oh, no, not in this case. If you recall, Professor Boulin said that uh, Jeffrey Barker was adroit, while his other two assistants were gauche. Then he laughed because he said his remark was true, both literally and figuratively. I still don't see what he's talking about. Oh, come now, Watson, come. Uh, Think of the origin of the word adroit. Adroit. Droit is the French word for right. And gauche is, is the word for left. Meaning the two gauche assistants were left-handed, and therefore only the adroit, the right-handed Barker, could have inflicted the fatal wound. I see it now, Holmes. <laughs> you know, if you'd remembered that mark of Boulin's at the time we found his body, you could have solved the case much sooner. That's true, old fellow, very true. <laughs> and when my old friend Watson points out that my memory is failing and my mind sluggish, then I know that my retirement has been postponed for... Far too long. Well, so so Holmes really went through with his idea of becoming a bee farmer. Yes, of course, of course. It became one of his favorite hobbies. Do you know anything about the, the raising of bees? Oh, nothing at all. The only connection I've ever had with bees was very remote. Once I had the hives. Once you had the... Oh, no, oh, no, no, Mr. Barker. <laughs> oh, yes, Dr. Watson. But seriously, I do know one thing about bees. Even when you know all about them, you're apt to get stung. That's true enough. So I'll make my hobby Petri wine. You know, you can't miss when you buy Petri wine, because Petri wine is always good wine. The Petri family has been making fine wine for generations. In fact, they started way back in the 1800s. And they've handed on down from father to son, from father to son, the knowledge and experience absolutely essential to the making of truly fine wine. And since the making of Petri wine is a family affair, you can be sure that the name Petri means something on a bottle of wine. Those letters, P-E-T-R-I, are more than a trademark. They're the personal assurance of the Petri family that every drop of Petri wine is good wine. So when you buy wine of any type, you can put your faith in the Petri label, because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes story are you going to tell us next week? Well, now, let me see. Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you about one of the weirdest adventures that Holmes and I ever had. It concerns a haunted chapel in the wilds of Cornwall, Strange organ music that played at midnight, and the headless ghost of a murdered monk.
Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Rygate Puzzle. Music is by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. Stay tuned for Life with Luigi next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Life with Luigi. The action in this series centered on Luigi Basco and his experiences as a newly arrived Italian immigrant to Chicago. Many episodes took place at the night school classes that Luigi attended with other immigrants from different countries. Another common theme involved Luigi's landlord sponsor, Pasquale, scheming to get Luigi to marry his rather obese daughter, Rosa. Perennial character actor and two-time Academy Award nominee J. Carol Nash played Luigi. The show was popular, successfully competed with Bob Hope's The Pepsodin Show. For most of its run, Life with Luigi aired at 9 p.m. on Tuesdays. And despite an estimated 30% share of the audience with its time slot, the show was without a sponsor until Wrigley's Gum bought in in 1950 and continued with the show until it ended in 1953. The episode tonight... Luigi joins a hospital plan. From Chicago, we invite you to enjoy life. Life with Luigi, a new comedy show created by Cy Howard and starring J. Carol Nash with Alan Reed. ago, when Luigi Basco left Italy to start his new life in America, he promised his mother that he would write her and tell her about his adventures. So now, we look over Luigi's shoulder as he writes another letter to Mama Basco in Italy. Dear Mamma Mia, is the now big shopping season in America. Everywhere is science. Newspapers and radio, they tell people there is only 24 shopping days till Christmas. Mamma mia. With the money I got, I can do all of my Christmas shopping in 24 minutes. <laughs> Streets is filled with excited people rushing to buy things. In Chicago, main shopping section is called the Loop. I guess that's because everybody run around in a circle. <laughs> Department stores even have doors which run around in a circle. <laughs> it's called revolving door. People walk in, and the door walk in with them. <laughs> There's also many other wonderful things. Like in old country, when a man wants to go to second floor, he walks upstairs. In a department store, man stands still, and the stairs walk up. <laughs> yes, Mamma Mia. Everybody here getting ready to celebrate the Christmas. Except the Pasquale, my countryman. Who bring me to America. Only celebration he wants is for me to marry his daughter, Rosa. And the mama. That Rosa is so fat. 
If she ever stand on the street for five minutes, policemen give her a ticket for double parking. <laughs> anyway, this morning, I open up my antique store, and I'm talking with my 12-year-old general manager, Jimmy O'Connor, who's like a son to me. And Jimmy, he say... Hey, boss, here's the mail. Is a letter from my mama? Not today, boss. Then who write to me? There's quite a few here. It's a wonderful country. I don't write to anybody, but I get answers anyway. <laughs> today is the 30th. It's the end of the month. So what? It happened 12 times a year. Like Uncle Pietro say, everything has an end except sausage. <laughs> sausage has two ends. <laughs> But tomorrow is the first, so the bills come in today. Is it too bad the month don't start on the fifth? Then we have more time to pay bills. With the money we haven't got, it won't make much difference. Someday I pay. Right now, we keep a record. I write on the page, bills are standing out. Uh, that's bills outstanding. Okay, read the bills. It's from the Edison Company. It's a pleasure to hear from Mr. Edison. <laughs> Fine man. Electric light is a wonderful invention. If Edison don't invent electric light, Edison and company go out of business. How much do we owe, Mr. Edison? Uh, $4.38. Is worth the money I'm going to owe them. If you don't pay, they'll turn off the juice. Then we'll use candles, like in old country. If we do, then this place is sure going to be spooky. All these old statues and old furniture and candles. In old days, everybody used candles. Even Abraham Lincoln. He was a poor fella, Jimmy. He lived in a log cabin, walked every day to school in the snow, work in the store just like you, and then study at the night by candle. And then he become a president. That's getting to the White House the hard way. Even harder, Lincoln was a Republican. <laughs> What's our next bill, Jimmy? Gas. Four dollars and twelve cents. Hmm. Maybe we better cut down on our cooking. From now on, we boil three-minute eggs in two minutes. <laughs> Guess how much the telephone bill is. Three dollars? Try again. Four dollars. You hit the bell. I think Mr. Bell hit me. <laughs> Just the same as a wonderful invention. If there's no telephone, then there's no telephone of books. What the little kids sit on when they want a haircut? What are you going to do with these bills? Well, we have the money, we pay. Aren't you worried? It's a no use, everybody worrying, Jimmy. Right now, I let the companies worry. <laughs> but what are you going to do, boss? I got a surprise for you, Jimmy. See? Here's the $15. Where'd you get that? You remember old colonial letter case? Sure, cost you 20 I sell it for 15 But, boss... I get a stucco when I pay $20 for it, Jimmy. So I sell it back to same fellow for 15 But you lost $5 in the deal. Oh, no, Jimmy. I make $5 because it's only worth $10 in the first place. <laughs> What's the next letter, Jimmy? It's from the president of the Windy City Investment Company. From president himself? Yep. John C. Shaw. Let me see the letter. Dear friend. Jimmy, do I know Mr. Shaw? Oh, it doesn't mean a thing, boss. Your name is on what they call sucker list. <laughs> it's a pretty good, Jimmy. Only one a year here and already I'm on a sucker list. <laughs> I wouldn't exactly call it an honor, boss. Must be, Jimmy. Here's a fella I don't know. He's giving me a chance to invest in a gold mine. Maybe we invest a little money, huh, Jimmy? What money? Next letter, Jimmy. <laughs> 
It's from the Jackson Hospital plan. Gimme, I read it myself. Look, it say here, dear Mister Basco, this is a personal letter. Believe me, boss, there's nothing personal about it. Never mind, Jimmy. Listen to letter. Consider this invitation from us to join. How you like that, Jimmy? Invitation. It's just an ad, boss. They don't mean that. What this means? Hospital plan. Uh, they pay your hospital expenses. First, I have to be sick, huh? Natch. Huh? Natch. Natch. What the natch means? Well, it's short for naturally. Please, Jimmy. I like to learn a long English, not a short time. <laughs> How do you know about this plan? I've seen the ads in the papers. And I've heard them on the radio. They got the longest commercial. Then why you not tell me? Well, boss, you can't take on any more expenses. But it say here only costs the two cents a day. You can't even afford that. Maybe they give it cheaper if we get sick only on weekends. <laughs> I'll see about this right away. Why the hurry? Mr. Jackson say here in his letter, hurry, hurry. I hurry. Mr. Luigi. You watch the story, Jimmy. I go see Mr. Jackson. America, I love you. You like a papa. Luigi, my friend. Hello, Luigi. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, Pasquale. I'm in a bigger hurry. Always you in a bigger hurry. Not always, Pasquale. Only when I see you. Where are you going this time? To hospital. Who's sick? Me. What's the matter with you? I find out later. <laughs> you talking, but you don't make a sense, Luigi. Speak a play. I explain to you, Pasquale. See this? Show is a letter. No, it's an invitation. Invitation to what? Invitation to hospital. That's a nice invitation. <laughs> I'm here 26 years. I never hear of an invitation to a hospital. Wait, I explain. Is invitation for hospital insurance plan for two cents. Luigi, why you always stick your two cents in everything? <laughs> All the time you run around, run around like a little mouse. Is it called Jackson Plan? Luigi, why you got to be different from other people? Why you must join a Jackson Plan? Join a Marshall Plan? <laughs> if you're sick, Jackson take care of the whole thing for two cents a day. That's a stupid. When a fella gets sick, two cents a day is not going to help him much. Pasquale, you pay Jackson Plan two cents. Jackson, he pay hospital. What's happen if it's raining someday and you're not going to run to the mailbox and send the Jackson his two cents? <laughs> then there's no insurance for that day. Luigi, you always buy policies. So for one a month already, you got a fire insurance. Is there no fire? Takes time. <laughs> I explained it, Pasquale. Look what it says here in the letter. If I get a sick, Jackson of plan is pay for doctors and nurses and all kinds of sickness. They pay for everything except the maternity. Why? Is it contagious? <laughs> Pasquale, you don't understand. I'm understand the plenty, but what's to happen if I'm a catcher this maternity? <laughs> is it not possible? Maternity is meaning having little bambinos. Oh, that's a fine. I tell you what you do. Forget it, it's a crazy two cents a hospital. Marry my Rosa, she's a have a bambino. I pay you two cents a day for the rest of your life. <laughs> Please, Pasquale, we're not to talk about the Rosa. We talk about a Rosa, I break your arm. Pasquale, how is the Rosa? 
<laughs> I'm glad you asked me, my son. Luigi, you couldn't find a nicer girl. Or a bigger. There's <laughs> another thing my Rosa can do. She's got lots of talent. What the kind of talent? Oh, she's a wonder. She's a first-class cook. She's a handy with a needle. She's a washer better than the laundry. And she's a keeper house and neat like a pin. You know, Pasquale... Yes, my son... I bet you Rosa could have found a good job someplace. <laughs> Luigi, I don't like your sense of humor, especially when my Rosa, she's a crazy for you. Is it too bad, Pasquale? Right now, she's a feeling very bad. She's got a broken heart. Maybe she joined a two-sense hospital. <laughs> There's a no hospital cure for her. Only you, Luigi. You, the doctor. If I'm the doctor, I go find a new patient. <laughs> oh, Luigi, you're getting me so mad, I think I'm going to break you in a little pieces. Then I better go join a Jackson Planet quick. <laughs> Excuse me, lady. Is this Jackson Hospital plan? Yes. I'd like to speak to Andrew. <laughs> uh, what's the nature of your business? Antique business. 21 North Holster Street. Open night and day and I we mean, always... what can I do for you? I get the letter this morning. I'd like to join two cents a day hospital plan. Oh, you want to see Mr. McGrady. First order, you're right. Thank you, lady. Come in. Hello. Girl outside, she tells me you're Mr. McGrady. Yes. She says you can tell me all about Jackson and hospital plan. I'd be glad to. You see... You see, Mr. Oh. McGrady, I'm not alone in this country, and it's harder for me to understand everything it says here in a little book about a hospital plan. So maybe you explain it, some of the things that it says here. I'd be glad to. says here no physical examination is necessary. I guess if there's no examination necessary, it means I don't have to see a doctor. Well, I'm glad you explained to me. Another thing. It is say here, you have a choice of 90 member hospitals. That means I go to any hospital I like? Well, there are 90 hospitals. It's so wonderful how simple is everything the way you explain it. It is say here. Also say here, if I marry, plan also cover my wife. If I ever marry Rosie, there's no plan big enough to cover her. <laughs> but I have a little boy, Jimmy. Is it good for him, huh? Yes. Thank you so much, Mr. McCready. You speak a beautiful English. Here's my two cents. I enroll in plan. Sorry, oh, mister. Oh, it's my fault. I don't look where I'm going. Are you hurt? No, but maybe I hurt your car. Are you sure you're all right? I feel fine. We can't be too sure, Mr. Basco. Mr. McReady, what are you doing here? Right on the job, Mr. Basco. The Jackson Hospital plan will take care of everything. Yes, sir, there's a room, nurse, a choice of any one of 1,000 doctors, all ready and waiting for you. Mamma mia, all for two cents. <laughs> While you're wondering what Luigi is going to do next, I have a $16,000 announcement for you about CBS's popular quiz program, Hit the Jackpot. Later tonight, $16,000 worth of breathtaking prizes will be given to the lucky contestant at home or in the studio who can give the correct solution to the secret sentence. MC Bill Cullen will give you more clues to help you solve the secret sentence. For fun and prizes, be sure to tune in Hit the Jackpot tonight over most of these same CBS network stations. 
And now, for the second act of Luigi Vasco's Adventures in Chicago, we turn to page two of his letter to his mother in Italy. So, Mamma Mia, I never think when I go to join a hospital plan that five minutes later I'm in a hospital. This gives you an idea of a kind of a quick service a fellow gets in America. So now I'm in a hospital only because I'm reading a hospital advertisement book when I cross the street and I don't see the car. But don't worry, Mamma Mia. There's absolutely nothing wrong with me. Only trouble is that nobody believes me. Is a very nice nurse here. She takes my pulse. Is first American girl who holds my hand. Is a very pleasant, Mamma Mia. But now, Jimmy visited me and he said, Boss! Hello, Jimmy. I rushed out here as soon as I heard about it. Who tell you? It's all over the neighborhood. I feel fine, Jimmy. What happened, boss? I'm walking across the State Street when suddenly I hit automobile. Did you get the license? No, just a piece of a right front fender. Where were you hurt, boss? In a safety zone. on State Street. If, if I tell you, you'll be angry with me, Jimmy. Oh, I'm not going to be angry, boss. I go see Jackson Hospital Plan. Then I have an accident. After I join. Uh, please, Jimmy, do something for me. Write a note to my teacher, Miss Spalding. I know can come to school tonight. Same as I write for you. Well, I can tell him, Mr. Luigi. You don't have to write a note. No, Jimmy. It's better you write. Please excuse my parents. Luigi Basco from school tonight. Yours truly, Jimmy O'Connor. Well, if that's the way you want it. Someone's here to see you, boss. Oh, he's the man from a two cents a hospital plan. <laughs> well, goodbye, boss. I'll see you later. Okay, goodbye, Jimmy. Mr. Basco, I take my hat off to you. Thank you. You're very polite. Yes, sir. You sure are a fast worker. We're going to make a big thing out of this. Imagine a man signs up for the Jackson Hospital plan, and five minutes later, he's in the hospital. Why, it'll make us the talk of the country. You, you're not angry with me? Angry? Certainly not. On the contrary, we'll see to it that you get every operation that's coming to you. You'll get, you'll get tonsils, adenoids, appendix, and that's only the start. Sounds like the finish. <laughs> Please, I'm a feeling fine. I want to go home. Mr. Pascoe. You gave us your two cents. You enrolled. We have your signature. You agreed to accept our benefits. And you'll get your benefits. Please, I just want to go home. You stay right there. Don't move till you hear from us. You're in a soft, comfortable hospital bed. You'll get the best of doctors and nurses for two cents a day. You're entitled to all this for 21 days. Live, man, live! <laughs> Nurse! Doctor! Mamma mia! Luigi, you sleeping, my son? <laughs> oh, Pasquale, I'm even glad to see you. How you feel, my little man? I feel fine, Pasquale, Don't but... Don't talk, uh... Luigi. Here, drink a little soup. A rose she cooked a special for you. That's nice. She's a love in every spoon of full, Luigi. She's put her heart in it. Taste like it. <laughs> Luigi? I'm already take care of everything for you. Then when can I go home? Take it easy. Lawyer says you're critically sick of man. Lawyer? I don't even see lawyer. How he knows? He knows. 
for to Pasquale, I don't need lawyer. Never see a fellow like you, even when you're sick, you argue. If a lawyer says you're sick, you say. But I'm not sick, I'm a fine. I don't care what you say, I already give a lawyer $50,000. $50 I give him. He say we're going to collect... I never have a $50,000. But the lawyer I give a $50 to, he say we're going to collect a 10000 we? Sure we. Is it your accident, so I make you a partner. Next time, if I have accident, I make you a partner, too. It's a fair exchange. Thank you, Pasquale, but there's nothing wrong with me. Lawyer is out the side. He's a tell what's wrong with you. Here is a Mr. Sykes, your lawyer. Louis. How are you, Mr. Basco? I'm a fine. Delirious, eh, Pasquale? Sounds alike. And now, uh, don't try to talk, Mr. Basco. You're a very sick man. Just leave everything to me. I don't. I leave it to my mama. Uh... Why, we'll sue that car owner for every penny he has in the world. We'll strip him clean. We'll take the clothes off his back. You haven't a thing to worry about with John Sykes as your attorney. I'm worried about other fella. Oh, I've had lots of cases like this. Been chasing ambulances all my life. You must have been pretty tired. <laughs> Mr. Basco, I saw the whole thing. You did? Why, certainly I did. There was this car coming in a very northerly direction at approximately 75 miles an hour. You were standing in the safety. Look, zone. I wasn't... Don't interrupt, gonna... please. Suddenly this automobile swerved, knocked you down, ran over you, backed up, and ran over you again. No, no, no. <laughs> no, Mr. Sykes. It was all my fault. I crossed the one light that was red. What's that got to do with it? Aren't you entitled to your choice of colors? Sure. <laughs> sure, Luigi. Everybody's got a right to choose a color. Don't worry, we're going to collect the plenty. Pasquale, you got a hit by car, too? I'm just to look out for your interest. But I all. feel fine. I, I don't even hurt a little bit. You see, Pasquale, brain concussion. <laughs> Looks alike. Now, <laughs> ah, Mr. Basco, where were you on the night of July 21st, 1928? July 21st, 1928. I don't remember. Aha. Uh-huh. Amnesia. <laughs> Magnesia. Oh, it's even worse than I feared. Now tell me, Mr. Basco, do you hear ticking noises? Pasquale, take your watch away from my ear. All I can say is, Mr. Basco, that you're a mighty sick man. Yes, sir, mighty sick. Please, Mr. Sykes, you're giving me a headache. Fine, don't fight it, Mr. Basco. <laughs> and uh, my back, my back is hurting from laying in bed. Ah, wonderful, wonderful. Now you're talking. But I feel fine. Stop for saying that! <laughs> Keep him quiet, Pasquale. I'll be back in a moment. Pasquale, I don't trust Mr. Sykes. I'm surprised at you, Luigi. Mr. Sykes is as honest as I am. That's what worries me. <laughs> no, Pasquale. I don't sue other fella. He's not honest. I don't want his money. I want to go home. Look, Luigi, you don't worry about this. All you think about is your health. I worry about your money. Hey, lay down, Luigi. He's a doctor. Well, how are you feeling, Mr. Bosco? I'm a feeling... Doctor, so good, a doctor. Excuse me, I'd like to look at the chart. Sure, doctor. Here, uh, what does it say? Mmm, sounds bad. Is... is it bad, doctor? Temperature? Mmm. Blood pressure? Mmm. <laughs> Has he got a temperature and a blood pressure? <laughs> Yeah, these x-rays. X-rays. But I'm feeling the fire. Stop arguing with a doctor. You'll excuse me, Mr. Basco. I'll be back. 
Pasquale. I hear you, Luigi. What? What did Dr. Mina when he say? Mmm. <laughs> Don't sound good to me, Luigi. Hey, Luigi, hold my hand. Pasquale, you see X-ray pictures? It's all black. Is there nothing left inside? <laughs> What does it say on the chart? I'm not supposed to tell you, Luigi. <laughs> please, please, Pasquale. It's better if I know everything. All right. All right, I'll tell. Temperature 98, period 6. <laughs> That's not too good. Please, Pasquale. If anything happens, you take care of Jim. Sure, sure. I even adopt him. And when he grow up, don't make him marry Rosa. <laughs> Luigi, Rosa is always going to be true to one man. You, Luigi. It's all right with me if she lie a little. Listen, Pasquale, is one more thing. In four years from now, I get my citizenship paper. Can you hear me, Pasquale? I hear you, Luigi. <laughs> I give you permission to vote for me. Anything else? I wait until the doctor comes back before I make more promises. All right, Luigi. Now I tell you what I'm going to do for you. When I'm going to collect the money from accident, I'm going to take your share, and I'm going to build a new antique store with your statue in the front, with a big sign in your honor, Luigi Bosco Spaghetti Palace. Why spaghetti in antique store? Got to pay expenses, Luigi. Pasquale, is, is it suddenly getting very dark? All about to my hands, Luigi, my friend. Maybe, maybe now you do something for me, eh? Anything. Maybe you see Rosie just once more. Is it dark enough already? <laughs> that is, it make no difference, Luigi. You're going to die anyway. Marry Rosa. This, this make her happy, Pasquale? Sure, sure. It's make her the happiest widow in Chicago. <laughs> All right. Rosa. Where is she? Well, she's just happy to be waiting outside. Rosa! You called me, Papa! <laughs> Say hello to poor Luigi. Hello, poor Luigi. Hello, Rosa. <laughs> Luigi's a dying, and before he goes, he wants to marry you, Rosa. What do you think of that? <laughs> Shut up your face. <laughs> Luigi, I go bring it a judge. Is the judge also happen to be waiting outside? What's going on here? Doctor, you're just in the time. Everything is dark. No wonder. Someone turned off the lights. <laughs> Who would do a thing like this? I see everything now. Doctor, I'm not dying, huh? Not for a long time to come, Mr. Bosco. There isn't a thing in the world the matter with you. Get your clothes and go home. You hear that, Pasquale? Doctor, you sure? Of course. It's impossible, Doctor. I just give a lawyer $50. Luigi's got to die. 
I feel fine. I'm going to leave the hospital. I got my two cents worth. Pasquale, I'm going to back to the store. Wait till Luigi. You promised to marry Rosa today. Oh, no. I already have my accident for today. <laughs> Mamma Mia, now if I get sick, is nothing to worry about, because I get sick in America. Your loving son, Luigi. Be sure to listen next week at the same time over most of these stations when Luigi Basco writes another letter to Mama Basco describing his adventures in America. Life with Luigi is a Cy Howard production and is written by High Craft and Cy Howard and stars J. Carol Nash as Luigi Basco with Alan Reed as Pasquale. Music is under the direction of Wilbur Hatch. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with Nightbeat, followed by Father Knows Best. Thanks to Joe Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.